Sometimes I'm never going to understand what it is. And I make the choice to let that go and just say, well, what would I like to do differently next time? Because we can't always understand everything. I can't unfurl every detail of why I did X, Y, Z, that I'm wasting a lot of time that could be used for living. This is Intentionally Ever After. Join Intentional Lifestyle Coach Joe Bukartek for a series of personal conversations and coaching sessions with various people about how living with intention shows up for them. Greetings, everyone. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of hanging out and chatting with the amazing Barb Heenan, someone who I greatly respect and have benefited from her expertise and wisdom in a number of ways throughout the past handful of years here. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome in Barb Heenan. Hello, hello. Oh, Hi. Barb. Yes, Joe. Would you kindly introduce yourself to the folks who are listening? Indeed. I'm Barb Heenan. It's so nice to be here with you, Joe. And you know I love and respect you as well. And coach to coach and person to person, human to human. You're amazing. So thanks for having me. I so appreciate that. Thank you. I, what, what do you want to know about me? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, well, well, maybe I can ask some questions along the way as we're, okay. as we're addressing some of the intentionality themes here. Something that no one knows about me? Ooh, yeah. Let's go there. I don't know. You know, it, it will no longer be the case, obviously, when you share it. You're right. <laughs> I feel like I pretty much am who I am out there. So if, if anyone has never spent a lot of time with me, you might not know that I'm really silly. Very, very silly. So I, I like to like go around my house by myself, talking to myself in funny little voices, or I'll do like silly little dance steps on my way, <laughs> on my way to get my tea. It's ridiculous. Anyway, so <laughs> I, I, I could very easily picture that you I do doing that. that. Yeah. So, but, but that's only after knowing you, I think. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, okay. that, that fits, that fits the profile of, of okay. who I believe Barb needed to be. Yeah. Okay, cool. Barb, where are you currently located? I'm in San Rafael, California. It is in Marin County, just over the Golden Gate Bridge in that gorgeous area of Northern California where there are rolling hills and nature and I can drive seven minutes and be hiking in the woods with eucalyptus and redwoods. And oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's been it's so nice to be here. Yeah, I packed up all my stuff in December, put my stuff in storage, sold my condo in Chicago, drove west. Like, I'm out of here. I'm taking my toys and getting out of here. That actually sounds very intentional of a move. Yeah. Would you say? You know what's funny that we're talking about intentionality is it did not feel intentional at all because I didn't know where I was going to live. I didn't have anything lined up. Uh, All I knew is my brother lives here um, and he's lived here for 35 years. So I know the area. But I really didn't have anything lined up till about a week before I got here. And he pulled a rabbit out of a hat and connected with some neighbors who said, yeah, we're going to go to L.A. for a couple months. Sure, she can sublet. It was bizarre. So I'm not good at planning. (laughs) So if this is a show about intentionality, I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) share. 
Well, well, you know, maybe maybe it's important that we kind of cover uh, a general definition of intentionality there, yeah. because you didn't, you certainly didn't move to Louisiana. Right. You moved to an area that your where your brother already had been established. So, True. how would you define living intentionally? Wow, that's such a good question. I, w- I would say that it's setting out to do something that means something to you, or setting an intention is to consciously make a choice to move toward something. And then, then I feel like then the universe hears you and aligns and gets, you know, you have to put in effort, but the universe will then go, oh, finally, he or she gets it. Okay, here, I'm gonna line up these opportunities for you. So it, to me, intentionality requires trust. So I had a certain amount of trust. All I knew was it was time. It was time for me to leave. I've lived in Chicago my whole life. I didn't know where I was going to end up, but I I had to make the move. So the intention was only on the one step right in front of me. It wasn't a five-year intention. Um, So, yeah, a little bit scary. (laughs) Talk about upheaval. Yeah, well, I think living intentionally can still be scary, though, right? And and be an upheaval and still be intentional. Yeah, true. True. Tell tell me your definition of intentionality. Oh, why did you have to do that? I used to turn on (laughs) Well... Thankfully for me, I've practiced this answer a good number of times, right? Yeah. Well, frankly, for me, living in, with intention is spending my time and energy on the people and things that matter to oh, me. I love that. Wow. Yeah. And thankfully, because of what I do and essentially what we do, I get to spend a lot of time thinking about it. And I have a lot of reminders when I work with other people on them living intentionally, it's a reminder for me to remind myself to live intentionally so I can never get away from these reminders that kind of rid the system in that way. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, good one. So I I actually like what, it sounds like setting the intention is is the key piece for you to live intentionally is you set that intention and then you're not alone. The universe is like, all right, now that you're clear, now that you've put that out there, I'm, I'm, I'll help you out. I'll set you up here. Yeah. You know, it's almost like I didn't know where I was going to end up. So it's like I put my kayak in the river. I'm trusting the river is going to take me to a cool place I've never been to before. But my intention is to get in the river and go. So I might not know what the end game is, but I can still be intentional about how I put my my paddle in the water and how I steer and how I enjoy take in nature and breathe and, and get freaked out over the, <laughs> over the rapids or whatever. So I can be intentional about how I enjoy the journey rather than just, I got to get there. I got to get there. I got to get there. Just get me there. Instead of suffering along the way, I can, I can be intentional about taking in using my, all my senses to take in, what I'm experiencing and not judge it. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but. Right. Yeah. So do you reduce suffering by living with intention? That is a great question. I feel like I do because anytime I can, I'm doing something consciously, I I'm given different choices, how I want to view it. It's all about perception. How do I want to view this event that it can cause me stress or it can, open my eyes to something. It, I can learn something. I can, I can allow myself to feel the pain and see what that brings me. It, it's, I don't have to get rid of the pain, but I don't have to suffer with it either. So it's, <laughs> it's helped me a few times when I've been in tough situations. Um, but such as 
<laughs> like, like we were just talking a, a moment ago about habits and I did this fun, I thought it was going to be really fun, like an obstacle course where I can, uh, there's thousands of people doing it on a little hilltop and there's different, you know, you're going crawling through mud under barbed wire and then you go to the next obstacle. It's like American Ninja Warrior kind of thing. And I worked out for months to get ready for this thing. And I was so excited. And I'm like, I'm 58 years old. I'm going to, I'm going to rock this thing. Right. So I'm like really, and being intentional about the workouts really helped me. And I was like, wow, a goal really helps me get it done. Right. And then I get there and at least I got to do half of the obstacle course, but about halfway in, I did one of the obstacles. I fell the wrong, I fell off the wrong way trying to be intentional about how I fell and I blew Oh up. no. <laughs> and I blew out my ACL and I tore my meniscus and I had a little tiny avulsion fracture and yeah. So I can't control that outcome, but in the moment they asked me to stand up, which seemed like the most monumental effort that could ever be done on this earth. It was so brutal to think about standing up and the guy, you know, arrives in the Jeep <laughs> And he like gently helps me stand up and my leg is dangling all loose and gross. Oh, so disgusting. And then he says that we're going to get in the Jeep. Like there's no stretcher. There's no cool like ambulance thing on the mountainside that <laughs> it's summer. You know, I get in the Jeep. What do you mean? Get in the Jeep. Like my leg is dangling. It's almost unattached at the knee. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> And I was in a boatload of pain, but I remember a moment right after getting in that Jeep and we're going, we have to go up the mountain to go down the other side. And I remember picking my head up <laughs> like an idiot, looking around and it's like, there's like this gorgeous hawk circling above the, above me. I'm like, and in my mind, I'm thinking, what a gorgeous hawk. This, oh my God, it's a beautiful day. And I had this moment of being in it, like being in it, in the, I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but <laughs> I don't either. But just the idea, what do you think? It, what, do, what did you think it meant in the moment? Just the idea that I was in a lot of pain. I was suffering a lot. But when I switched my point of view, all of a sudden I forgot the pain. I was able to just just be in the moment of this is interesting. I wonder why this is happening for me. And I don't have to be upset about it or sad about it. But this is what's true now. And now I'm going to go into the next step. We'll go to the medic tent. And I knew, I knew I blew out my leg. I was in for it. I'm going to have to get a surgery. I'm going to have to do everything. But instead of getting upset about it, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to experience what this is. This is very interesting. So I did. Pretty readily too, it seems, in the moment. And maybe because of the severe pain at the time. But what typically triggers you to consider your perspective? Well, pain is a good one. I mean, always, right? Pain makes us... <laughs> look at things that maybe we wouldn't look at or acknowledge. I think another thing that triggers that for me is, yeah, that's a good, I'm trying to think of what, that's a good question. Pain is a good one though. I don't know, Joe, ask it again. What triggers you to consider your perspective of something? Well, it's, one is that if it's going in a direction I don't want, I will stop and, and go, okay, wait a minute. What, why don't I want this? And what, that's going to make me miserable. That is going in a direction that I don't want. Why did I want this in the first place? What did that mean to me that I had to have this certain outcome? It's kind of like letting go of the outcome, you know? So I think if, it, if it's going in a direction that to me feels 
ah, I don't want this. That makes me stop and look at it from a different perspective and say, well, A, what control do you have over it right now? B, what might this mean for you? Or what are some other things that you can learn from this rather than just what I want, I want, I want. So it sounds like you have to have an awareness of when things aren't going your way in order for the trigger to happen. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe it happens when I'm not aware too, but I just can't think of those times right now. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's very interesting that you were able to tap into that perspective when your leg was dangling, you know, independently of your body. And I don't think that that's because I have magical powers in any way, shape or form. I think that's a function of the pain that maybe that was a way to help me deal with the pain in the moment, that this is what our, our system knows what to do to help us survive. Right. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. It wasn't anything special about me. I think this is how humans, how we survive situations. It's, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. No, that's it. Well, see, you did it again. You said something that, that took me somewhere really far away. I don't know if I want to keep taking it down that path, the out-of-body <laughs> experience part. <laughs> oh, yeah. You ha- don't you have those? Uh, no. Well, now I'm thinking about it. I don't have an immediate yes response for you for that out-of-body experience. No. Okay. I'll save that for next episode, okay. I think. I'll, I'll, I'll spend some time thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. How about habits? We did start to dig into habits a little bit. And you that that's when we were talking before the call here about uh, you training. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts? What are your just general thoughts on, on habit formation and, and the effect they can have? About habits? You know, I always associate the word habit with something that is like a bad habit. We talk a lot about bad habits and how to get away from bad habits. And, Mm. but I like to think of habits as good habits, which can be, to me, I tie it with the notion of ritual. So like a good, good habit for me is, you know, self-care stuff. So it's like wake up in the morning. Sometimes I'm lazy. I don't feel like making a full breakfast for myself. And then I'm like, Nope, that's my ritual. That's what I do. So I, you know, I do it. And so if I think of it as a ritual, it doesn't feel as much like a burden or a hassle. And and I know- it's, Or an obligation, maybe? Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah, like, oh no, this is, this is what I do. You know, this is what I do. I remember in college, I wanted to stop drinking anything with carbonation in it, like Diet Coke and all that crap. I just felt like, why am I drinking this? This stuff is crap. Like it's caramel coloring and sugar. And I didn't want to drink any- any of those things. I won't say the brand names, but anyway. That's right. They're not sponsors currently. So that's okay. okay. <laughs> Coke, Diet Coke, Pepsi, Cad, <laughs> that takes me back. Oh yeah. I just revealed my age there. Uh, <laughs> do you even know what tab is, Joe? Uh, I'm aware. Yeah. I'm okay. a connoisseur of history. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my God. And I just remember thinking I didn't want to do it anymore. And I was out on a lake with a friend and it was scorching hot and we were on a little raft. We had a little cooler and it had a bunch of Cokes in it. And I was just like, no, I said, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm not doing it. And I don't want to break it. I've gone for two weeks. I don't want to break my, my, my habit of not drinking this. And I just, I just had like massive willpower and discipline because I wanted to, I don't know. I feel like if you can tie a, a good habit with the meaning behind it. Mm. And for me, it was about health. I wanted to be healthy and I wanted to, and I, I gotta say, I, stopping myself from drinking those things, I felt so much better. I didn't have those sugar highs and lows. I 
just felt like I had more energy. Weirdly, I just, yeah, and I never went back to drinking it again. To this day. You know, 40 years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. To this day. Well, you've answered my next question. Oh. Which is, what have you said no to that has made a significant <laughs> impact in your life? <laughs> oh, okay. So for a while there, I had I said no to sugar uh, because I just didn't feel well. I would get headaches after eating sugar, and that was a really hard one to get. I I used to love to eat coffee ice cream. It had to be coffee flavored ice cream every night. Yeah. And yeah, but I would get a headache. And I knew the headache was coming, but I didn't care in the moment. I need my coffee, ice cream, whatever, at night, right? So it's going to keep me up because there's still, like, caffeine in it. And then I finally just hit a wall, like, nope, I'm done. I'm not doing it. And I cut myself off of all sugar for a while, including fruit, just so I could break the the addiction to it. And then I, um, within two to three weeks, I stopped craving it. I've never had it again coffee ice cream or any ice cream or any sugar like that. I now. And again, oh my gosh. Yeah. Now and again, I'll have- I was going to say, I was going to say coffee ice cream is easy enough to avoid, I think, but no. ice cream in general, that's, that's something. Yeah. No ice cream at all. None. Well, no dairy. I don't eat dairy anymore either. I do have fun in life. I swear to God, I have fun in life. <laughs> I do. But uh, yeah, it's, it's creating languages for yourself and dancing. Yes. In silly ways, <laughs> yeah. Right. But I, I just, well, so the significant impact was that I definitely have more energy because I'm not experiencing those highs and lows. I don't get that three o'clock drag anymore mm. um, because I'm- That okay. is something. Would you mind repeating that yeah. since I interrupted you? Oh, no, I, I don't get that three o'clock drag anymore because I'm I'm eating healthy food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if I eat a snack, I'm eating a healthy snack. Like I'll eat an apple with almond butter on it or something like that, you know? So so I'm not getting, so I'm balancing. If it's, if it's something sugar like fruit, I balance it with- you know, something else like protein or whatever. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. I mean, that's an actual, you know, real life story as opposed to, yeah, that makes sense in my head. Logically, I I could have read that or heard that in some study that you, you won't experience the drag, but to actually know that that's, that's possible from a real person. That's, that's quite telling. I guess apparently it like modulates the glucose in your blood. So you're not going through these extreme highs and lows and I got rid of my headaches. I got, yeah, a lot of things that were in my way. Um, so, that's great. So, yeah, that that that's one of them. That's very significant. Do you, is anything else? I mean, that was kind of the the easy pivot there. But is yeah. there anything else you've said no to? I'll tell you what I'm struggling with. A no that I'm struggling with. Yeah. Is I'm super hard on myself. I love to beat myself up, and. I had a habit. I'm trying, I'm trying to change my language on it. I had a habit back before. Mm-hmm. Previously. Yep. Previously. Mm-hmm, where I would, you know, just literally call myself names. Like, you idiot. I would say that kind of stuff under my breath. And one time back a long time ago when I was working, I was working as an occupational therapist doing hand therapy. And my, one of my colleagues was standing next to me. I was making a splint for this patient and I must have said something like, oh, you idiot, Barb, or something like that. And my friend said, don't call my friend Barb an idiot. Oh. <laughs> you know, it was such a like a, wait, 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 what? When she did it in the third person like that? I think, yeah, my friend Barb. And yeah, and who would, would I ever call one of my friends an idiot? Never. So that was my first. 
So, so now you felt even worse right. for calling her friend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good. So that was the first real awareness I had. And thank you, Sharon Roberts for that. Cause you're the one that kind of woke me up to it. I've struggled with it ever since. I mean, for 30 years and I'll go in cycles where I'll be pretty good about it. And then I'll go back into the bad habit. But if I could say no to one thing, I would say no to beating up myself. And I would invite more compassion for myself and kindness, be kind to myself. And I, I, there are times I can really do it and I can feel a difference. And there are other times when I'm, you know, struggling or depressed that it sneaks back in. It's really kind of interesting. So borrowing from a conversation I had with Barb Heenan moments ago about what triggers that change in perspective, shy of putting yourself through pain when you're being hard on yourself, what might trigger the Sharon Roberts perspective? Yeah, that, oh my gosh, you're such a good coach, Joe. What a great question. It's, you know, I feel like it's catching it. Mm. It's the awareness of it first that, oh, there, I just did it again. Yes, I catch myself, but catch myself without judgment. So being able to, because normally I would catch myself and go, you idiot, you just called yourself idiot again, <laughs> right? Yes, uh-huh, do you double down? Right, double down, exactly. So being able to catch myself without judgment and say, oh, look at you, you just did it again. Oh, that's interesting. And not put a judgment on it and just be able to be kind and compassionate and patient with myself, I guess, was, is so that aware, changing that perspective of it's, it's the awareness. Can I catch myself? And if I haven't caught myself, but I think about it later, it's doing the same thing, looking upon it without judgment and going, look at, mm-hmm. huh, that's interesting that you did that again. What was that about? And just the reflective debrief. Exactly. Yeah. I want to ask about that process for you, but I'm also wondering about you know, catching yourself without judgment, if you considered yourself in the third person, just like Sharon Roberts did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Since I know you well enough to know that you wouldn't judge your friends mm-hmm. harshly in that way whatsoever. So is it reasonable to think you could consider yourself your friend? Is that, do you view yourself that way? Yes, yeah. quite reasonable. Yeah, I do. I really do. And w- then it's the question of, am I being a good friend to myself? You know, or am I being a fair weather friend? Ooh, yeah. Abandoning myself when I'm depressed or bummed out or lonely or pissed off at myself. Right. Do I abandon myself? Right. So if I can be in that place of non judgment, compassionate kindness, being with myself and not having to fix myself all the time, that's another one is the urge to fix it. It's like if I can just be with myself, be in the, that's what I would do for a good friend. I would be with them and not try to fix what they're going through. It's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine it would be hard, uh, especially coming from someone who is able to help people improve their lot in life, improve their situation. Knowing you have that capacity, it would be hard to just let yourself be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's always the strive for improvement. I got to make it better. I got it. Like, when does that ever stop? And people say it doesn't ever stop. But I do give myself a break and rest from it for a bit. And say, I'm, I'm happy with where I am right now. Or I can allow myself to be in this space right now and not fix it. Mm-hmm. I do do that. So I do try to be a friend to myself in that way. 
Yeah. Okay. So is it about discerning when to call yourself an idiot and when to let yourself be an idiot without calling yourself one? Is that what we're talking about? (laughs) (laughs) When do I get to call myself an idiot? When I, yeah, when I spill my tea all over my stuff. No, I I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. When can you just be an idiot without worried about being called one? I don't know. Yeah. Right. When I stub my toe, you know? Yeah. Okay. So the thing I wanted to ask about was your debrief process with yourself. Oh. You know, how quickly after the fact, when you don't catch yourself in the moment, as I imagine will be difficult, what does that process look like for you? Yeah. It's gotten much shorter over the years. It used to be that it would take me, it would take a good two weeks before the thing would bubble up again. And I'd be like, wow, what was that all about? And I think going through coaching school and being a coach for, you know, 14 years now, whatever, we do a lot of introspection, right? Because we're learning the process to help others become more aware of themselves and, you know, make change if that's what they want to do. So I feel like it's, it's that time period of review, debrief review is, is much shorter. So I had, so things are fresher, which, which helps, but I'll just go back over and ask myself, you know, one, I seek to understand, you know, why did that happen? Sometimes I'm never going to understand what it is. And I make the choice to let that go and just say, well, what would I like to do differently next time? Because we can't always understand everything. I can't unfurl every detail of why I did X, Y, Z, that I'm wasting a lot of time that could be used for living. Yeah, exactly. So you do want to just continue living instead of spending time in constant reflection. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, uh, hey, Barb. Yeah, Joe. What area in your life feels just about perfect? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh my God, seriously? Do people have areas of their lives that are perfect? (laughs) A lot of people take exception with the word perfect, which is why I typically put it in quotes, but uh, I'm asking it nonetheless. (laughs) I want in on this concept, okay? (laughs) What do I need to do to get it? Oh man. Yeah. Let me just think for a brief moment here. Ah, oh, man, I feel like this is tied to that judgment thing again. Because what is perfect? Perfect feels like when I can be in a moment of full acceptance. And where in my life am I in full acceptance? Okay, I have one area. Yeah, I don't know if it's perfect, but and I don't think I'm in full acceptance yet. Like leaving Chicago, the hardest thing was my vast amount of friends that are there. Just a boatload of friends. I can't even, I couldn't even, I don't know. I couldn't stop writing after a hundred. I mean, because I grew up there, right? So, so leaving Chicago felt like a must do. And you don't realize the impact of leaving your friends until you've done it, you know? So But the perfection part kind of comes in where I can I can be in in this place where I'm I'm missing my friends. I think it helps that it's a pandemic right now because I wasn't seeing a lot of my friends when I left anyway. Right. Because we have to socially distance. So I guess what what feels perfect is I have these moments where I have full acceptance of the fact that I'm in a different geographical location that's 2000 miles away from all, from most of my friends. So I, if I can be in that moment and just fully accept that 
and then go, oh, yeah, I forgot. I have a phone I can pick up and call. I, I can get on Zoom. I can whatever. I can plan a trip five years from now. Who knows when we're when I'm going to feel safe to fly. Um, so it feels like areas in my life that that have perfection. It's when when I have that fleeting moment of full acceptance, no matter where I am with it. So in other words, it doesn't have to be perfect. I'm here in California. It's not perfect. I love it. I'm near nature. That was what I wanted. Um, I was away from the winters, but I'm missing my friends. Right. So I can, but I can be in full acceptance of I'm here, not with my friends, I don't know. Does that even make sense? I don't know. I, I think so. It sounds like there's a certain amount of being at peace. Yes. Yes. But it's, it feels like fleeting moments. I just grab them and I, and I go, ah, let me rest in this for a bit. And then, yeah. So I honestly, I, I don't know. I can't think of a place that in my life that feels perfect right now. Yeah, that's, that's fair. If I'm being honest. Well, I appreciate you starting to be honest, you know, because I've, you know, I want some honesty here, Barb, frankly. Yeah. (laughs) No, I think that's, that's fair. I mean, the the word perfect is, it's supposed to kind of trigger these thoughts for people. And just in all my conversations I've had with people, even outside of this podcast, for people, it sounds more often than not, it's like a journey, right? I'm on my way towards that. So it feels perfect. I'm I'm happy with my trajectory in this area. And it sounds like you are becoming happy with your level of acceptance. And maybe, I don't know, is it the frequency of how frequently you're fully accepting? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, it's also the depth of acceptance too. You know, it's like, because there's always a, yeah, but it lurking, Mm. you you Mm. know, Something else you just made me think of, though, is the other thing of when I think of perfection, I think of the beauty of imperfection. And that's basically the concept of wabi-sabi. And that is that when we can appreciate something, even in with its flaws. And so, again, the word flaw implies that there's not perfection, but we can find beauty in the imperfection. So it's the fact that something is flawed means it is perfectly itself. So like in, in Japanese tea ceremony, one of the things that you do is you, you, one of the ways you acknowledge your host who's doing this beautiful ceremony for you is you pick up the teacup and you, and you admire it and you comment on the chip on the bottom of it or the patina of the, where it's been, you know, used so many times over and over again. And you make a comment about this imperfect part of this teacup that is acknowledging that we can be flawed and we can still appreciate who we are. So that helps me, if I can remember that concept, it helps me remember, oh, it's perfectly imperfect right now. It's like an inside out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, therein lies the perfection, is the imperfection. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's cool. So I think that's another definition for me is, is that perfection is when it's perfectly imperfect. And I, and I love it exactly as it is. And I, and I love myself. You've, you've embraced that yes, fully. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're going into some deep stuff here, Joe. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah. I love it. Of course I want to take it so many different other paths, but no one's going to listen that long. That's not true. Yeah. I would, I would totally listen. <laughs> 
Barb, in addition to Sharon Roberts, who is someone you admire? Yes. And and what do you admire oh. about them? And yet you're actually allowed to use Sharon if you want to. Okay. Oh, you know, Sharon, I love Sharon. She's, oh man, she is so grounded and and so down to earth and authentic and fully in who she is. And I've learned so much from her as a friend. And when I met her, I was in my early, early 20s. I was maybe 22, 22, 23. I was very, very insecure. I had very low self-esteem. I really struggled with my self-esteem. I mean, so much that we would have to go to rounds with the doctors and nurses and talk about patients on the floor, like neuro ICU or whatever. And I just remember my first three months at the hospital, I, the supervisor would come with me, my supervisor, because I was new. So she would come with me to the rounds. And then she'd always be like, Barb, you're not speaking up. You got to talk to the doctors and tell them what's going on with your patients. And she, she's like, I know you, you're not shy. You know, what is it? And I couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew what it was, but I couldn't, it's not that I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't articulate it to her because it just sounded so ghastly. But <laughs> the feeling was, I didn't want to talk and subject them to having to look at me. That's how low my self-esteem was. So I wanted to just be like the, the unknown comic, like the, that's, you know, back in the whatever, where, you, you know, you put a bag on his head with the eyes cut out. That's what I wanted to be able to do to go to these things. So anyway, back to who do I admire? Sharon was somebody that she didn't have low, low self-esteem, but she also didn't have to go take out her megaphone and announce to the world how great she was. She could just be, and she still is, she's still just, she is who she is and she loves herself. And so I kind of learned how to love myself through her and this kind of perspective. So she's absolutely somebody that I admire, um, which has been, yeah, pretty good. But you know who I've been thinking about a lot lately that I admire is um, immigrants, people who come to this country, or maybe they go to another country, you know, migrating, whatever, to France or to England or to America, whatever, mm. having nothing, knowing no one, not speaking the language and being able to come here and make something of your life. And I'm just always blown away by that over and over again. And just, I'm meeting people who are, have been immigrants and, you know, had made it here and their harrowing stories of getting here and what they've done. And so every time I feel sorry for myself, oh, I'm here and I, I don't know anybody but my brother. And, you know, it's like, stop, you know, so I can just be grateful for what I have. And I think about people who are so courageous and mm. can make something out of nothing and know no one and not know the language. Like I, it blows me away. The more I think about it, the more I, so that that's been on my mind a lot lately. That makes sense. Especially given that what you just shared about your own situation. Yeah. Yeah. I guess right? so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Without being hard on yourself for it. Right. Right. <laughs> course <laughs> you can you can appreciate it and admire it without you know being calling yourself an idiot yes about you are. <laughs> yeah you know the language i know they speak probably differently in california yeah. dude different, different accent too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what do you imagine some people admire about you oh i know 
I do have an idea about what people admire about me because they say it. Um, hard to refute when they tell you. Yeah, thing, right. Hard to refute. Mm-hmm. I think of it mostly in terms of uh, work. I guess other people do too. That that I can. They admire that I can make anyone feel instantly comfortable, and I'm apparently warm and inviting. And so maybe on the work front, that happens when when I'm teaching. I can just immediately, you know, create an environment that invites engagement and learning, but just friends wise or walking into a party, like, how do you do that? You walk into a party and you, you're able to start a conversation with anybody. And I never know that I'm doing, I never knew that that was a skill or a, it's just a natural, something that bubbles up that I don't think about. So for other people, they, maybe it's something they want to cultivate or they, or they don't have, maybe they don't want it and they don't have it and they don't care, but so that would be one, I think, but it's just something natural that comes up that I didn't work hard for it. I didn't uh, go to school to learn it, uh, but I can still, I can still let it be part of me and people can still admire it, I guess. I, I think you're right. I certainly think you're allowed to have people admire you for a thing that you didn't work super hard for maybe. Yeah. And I, I think in this, in our culture, in American culture, we give credence to you earned it like you got to earn it you got to work hard to earn it and I don't think that's always true I feel like we can gain something just through being who we are or letting our natural talents bubble up we don't have to work hard for everything I think that's a myth and it it drives people to work you know 15 hours a day and drive themselves into the ground so if we can all just get away from that, I feel like we would have a lot less misery in the world. I am with you 100%. All right. Hard work is not the only way, right, to clarity or to success, right? You don't have to bust everything just to, that's not the only way to succeed. You were born with natural talents, natural gifts, natural attributes. Right. What if you embrace those and share those? If other people are telling you that they benefit from or admire you for this thing, that you just naturally have. Yeah, and maybe that- I don't think it's meant to be discarded. Yeah. Say, no, I didn't work for it, so I got to pivot and do something else. Exactly. And, and maybe this comes back to intentionality, Joe, where it's like that could be a part, we can set an intention or we can be intentional about spending time and energy in your definition. I think you said spending time and energy with those people and things that mean a lot to you. And- we can we can also utilize what we naturally have to be able to do that and and so that then our time and energy is is not drained out of us you know it's it's yeah i see this a lot because i work with a lot of executives mm. and c suite executives and they're working their tails off to quote unquote earn it and they still feel like something's missing in their lives it's fascinating it really is. I mean, that in and of itself is a pandemic, I think, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. truly is. But it, it's a path that's been so weathered, so beaten, like it's established. That's the way to success. Exactly. And, our, and our culture promotes that as well or embeds it in us. Yeah. You go to France and, you know, the stores will be shut down between, you know, 1 and 3.30 for... Mm-hmm. Dejeuner, you know, or whatever. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, and uh, nobody thinks anything of it. You would never dream of. But they also work later into the evening. But they take a long midday break, and to them, it's it's um, what is the saying? Work to live, not live to work. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So. Precisely, they've got some things figured out over yeah, there. I think. <laughs> like cheese and bread. Yeah. Like cheese and bread. <laughs> yep, and déjeuner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine. And all of them put together, I think. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am a Francophile, by the way. That's another thing people might not know about me. Ah, moi aussi. Oh, oui. Oh, parlez-vous français? Mm-hmm. Huh? Oui. Oui. Je parle français. Je ne parle pas les qui parlent et je ne le pratique pas. Ah, peut-être la prochaine fois, on peut discuter tout en français. Uh-huh. Well, we probably lost a bunch of people there. So uh, let's... Uh... <laughs> you got you got a down, right. that accent. That's right. Lots of practice. <laughs> well, Barb, this has been amazing. Just curious, uh, what thoughts of intentionality are left in your brain that you'd like to share with us or maybe that you'll take with you moving forward past this? Well, I'd like to ask you a question. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm ready. What's your... What's your favorite way to be intentional Mm. that we could learn from? Goodness. Okay. This one's front of mind. Um, So it's my current, I don't know if it's my all-time favorite, but I'll give you my, the one that's front of mind. It's uh, how I parent, how Melanie and I parent. And it's uh, bringing our son into the parenting process. Okay. And it's about sharing with him how I want to be as a dad and uh, getting his take on it, seeing what he thinks, running it past him, you know, trying to disassemble somehow the the structure of I'm the dad, I'm up here, and you're going to just take and listen to everything I say and kind of bring it down and almost workshopping it with him. Well, then he's got more buy-in, I suppose, then, if he's... A part of the process, right? That's part of the idea. And the other part of the idea is just sharing more of my internal thoughts with him. And that, but when he grows up to be a dad or not a dad, he doesn't have to have it all figured out that he knows, oh, my dad didn't really have it all figured out, but he's thinking about it. And he's, gosh, he's trying. Yeah, he's failing, but he's trying. Um, (laughs) He's about nine. He's he's 10 now. He just turned 10. Yep. Uh And uh, he'll call me out. Because he'll like he'll be like, Dad, you told me you didn't want to respond that way, and yet you you did it again. It's like, ah, dang it, you're right, you're right. So uh, he's holding your fatherhood. Yeah. He he is he is. But again, that's my accountability. You know, I got I share it with him because I want him to know the type of dad I want to be, and what better you know person to have on your side than than your child. Oh so, my gosh, that's amazing. That's my answer to that one. Oh, that's a good one. Wow. Well, thank you for that because you're you're helping to create a citizen of the world who who's learning how to take responsibility for himself, you know, early on and be part of something that, you know, he's it's not just this authoritarian kind of construct. Even though, yes, you're the dad and you're smarter because you have more life experience. But being able to help him be part of it, I mean, that really speaks to teams. I'm sorry, I keep going back to the executive thing. But I think if leaders could be more like that, like involve people in the process so that they've got some buy-in, 
um, the power of that is immense. Yeah, I've done a lot of work exploring vulnerability these past couple of years, and that has a lot to do with that, expressing vulnerability um, yes. through leadership. Vulnerability to establish trust rather than the other way around. Yeah. You know, expecting people to uh, be vulnerable without having, anyway, it's... Uh, Oh, no. Yeah, thank you for, for saying that and connecting it to uh, the way I'm hoping to raise my child. I, I think that's, that sounds like a good thing when it comes from you. <laughs> so I'm, I might call you again to remind me. So, oh, okay. man, Barb, Joey said I screwed up again. What, <laughs> tell me tell me about how I'm doing a good thing here. Just have Joey call me. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's hilarious. Mm. Oh my gosh. Well, oh. thank you again. I really appreciate your time and uh, you know, I've appreciated uh your help all these many years, like I said. And oh, um, and this Joe. has been really nice. It was my pleasure and honor. Thank you for having me. And I, I know we meandered a bit, but it was it was such a fun little journey that we took today. So thank you for that. Agreed. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. This has been Intentionally Ever After, hosted by Intentional Lifestyle Coach, Joe Bukartek. If you would like to have your own intentional conversation with Joe on or off the air, visit intentionallyeverafter.com. Thanks for listening.